Amen. Will you join me in prayer? Almighty God, thank you. And we say hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Lord, we thank you for your son. We thank you for the gift that he is and he was to us. Lord, we pray this morning that in light of that gift, in light of what Jesus came and did and what he is currently doing in our lives, we pray that you would speak to us this morning. Lord, help us to hear your word, your message to our lives. We thank you so much, and we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Good morning and welcome. I want you to take your Bibles or your apps or whatever you read on this morning, and I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. Now, if you don't have a Bible with you or an app on your device, uh, there are Bibles in the back of the pews. Feel free to grab one of those. Uh, If you're not familiar with the ordering of the, the Bible and where to find the books, turn to your table of contents. There are two major sections, Old Testament and New Testament. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. Uh, And so you're going to want to turn to Matthew chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you and you don't have a Bible at your home, please, at the end of the service in this Christmas and New Year's season, take that Bible home with you today. We want everybody to have a Bible at their home that they can read and study and reference. Uh, So let that be our gift to you this morning. Take that Bible with you uh, as a free gift from us this morning uh, during this season. Now, have you ever received a gift that you just kind of looked at and went, huh, what am I going to do with this? It's Christmas season, and I'm sure that many of you can think back to a time or maybe just a few days ago when you opened a gift and you thought, why in the world did I get this? Have you ever gotten one of those types of presents? Today's passage actually is going to uh, kind of bring to light uh, one of those types of gifts. Because uh, we, what we're going to be looking at today is the, the traveling of the Magi, and I'll explain who these guys were, uh, to come to see Jesus and the gifts that they brought him and what those gifts possibly could mean. And so Matthew chapter 2 is where we're going to be. Go ahead and turn there now. Matthew chapter 2. So as you're turning there, a recap of where we've been, Jesus... Uh, has been predicted by the angels. Um, He has been predicted to Mary and then to Joseph. Um, He is told, it's been told that he is going to be uh, called the mighty God, the son of the mighty God, that he is going to be the savior, the Messiah that we've been waiting on. Um, And then we find that Mary and Joseph are forced to travel to a city called Bethlehem. It was a long journey from the town of Nazareth where they were from. They had to travel to Bethlehem uh, because of a government law that, that they had to obey. They go to Bethlehem and while there they give birth to their son Jesus. And because there, so many people had traveled to Bethlehem under this government rule, there was no place for them. So they end up giving birth to their son basically in a stable. And they, they lay him in a feeding trough, a manger. Um, And so now, fast forward, the shepherds have come and visited Jesus and and told Mary and Joseph about what the angels had told them. And now we're on the next visit, the visit of the Magi. So read with me, starting in verse 1 in Matthew chapter 2. It says this, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. 
When King Herod heard this, he was greatly disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you have found him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So, we have this interesting passage in the book of Matthew about this visit of the Magi. Now, it's interesting... That Matthew, remember when I started this series about a month ago, I mentioned and talked about how all four of the Gospels, the four uh, biographies of Jesus, it's the, these are the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each four of those Gospels were written to different audiences, uh, kind of for different purposes. So Matthew, if you'll remember back, Matthew was a Jewish person who wrote his book for Jewish people. So keep that in mind for just a moment. He's not particularly uh, focused on Gentile people, people who are not Jewish. He is specifically writing to Jewish people. He wants the Jewish people to fully understand and fully wrap their minds around the fact that Jesus was and is the promised Messiah. Now, if you read Matthew chapter 1 and then into chapter 2, you'll find that Matthew lists the Magi as the first visitors. Now, were the Magi, were they Jewish people? No. Isn't it interesting that the first people that come and worship Jesus in the book of Matthew are Gentiles? Matthew, from the very beginning, is pointing to the fact that Jesus did not come for only the Jewish people, but he came for all the people of the world. The first people listed to come and worship Jesus are not even of Jewish heritage. They don't know Jewish law, and they don't know the Bible, and they're the ones that come and worship him. It is not a coincidence that Matthew points that, because let's be honest, Most of us in this room would qualify as Gentiles. I'm sure some of you may have some Jewish heritage, and that's wonderful. But the majority of us in this room are non-Jewish, are Gentile people. And this promise, this hope in Matthew chapter 2 is to all of us. The hope of the Savior is not to only the Jewish people. It's to all people. It's to everyone that would accept Him as their Savior. So, let's talk about the Magi for a moment. Who were these guys? 
Where does the word magi come from? Well, the magi word was a Greek word, and it referred to a group of people, an elite class of priests and astrologers. Well, they, they studied the stars and the, the signs of the stars that they believed it in. And so these magi were probably from the Persian Empire, holdovers from the Persian Empire, and they come from the east westward towards Jerusalem once this star comes. Now, why did they know about this star? Why did they have an idea that this star would arise when the king of the Jews was born? Well, many scholars believe that if you go back to, into the Old Testament, there's a book called Daniel. And it's about this man named Daniel who, who is taken captive by the Babylonian Empire and later he transfers over into the Persian Empire where these magi would have been from. And many scholars believe that during da Daniel's time in Persia, he gave the Persian people, these magi, a prediction about the king of the Jews coming. And that God gave him a sign that the Persians were going to be looking for. And so the Persians, these magi, are coming westward to Jerusalem because they had a godly man telling them about the Messiah that was going to come hundreds of years later. Isn't that amazing? That God was planning the coming of Jesus hundreds of years before he ever came. And he was telling people who did not know God, he was telling them about his salvation hundreds of years before Jesus came. So that's who the Magi are. They are foreign uh, astrologers from another country come to worship Jesus. Now the star, what's significant about this star? Well, it's predicted in Numbers, the book of Numbers, also in the Old Testament. In Numbers 24, uh, there's this account of Balak, this king. And Balak is worried about this Israelite group that's coming through his country. And there, there's millions of them. And he's worried that they're going to come and, and take over and do some bad things. And so he sends one of his prophets, this guy named Balaam. He sends Balaam to curse the Israelite people. And God, through his power, forces Balaam to bless them instead of cursing them. And in one of Balaam's blessings, he says this. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall show itself and come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. You see, thousands of years before Jesus, God was already predicting that a star would rise up into the sky and predict the coming king of forever, the scepter that would rise out of Jacob. So Numbers 24 predicted the star. Now, Many people speculate that something happened with some planets and everything aligned and suddenly the star appeared. And, and guys, I'll be honest with you. Yeah, there could be some credibility to that. But one way or the other, whether this was a natural phenomenon or not, God made it happen. The fact of the matter is that Daniel, hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born, Daniel predicted that a star would rise and would show the coming of the new king of the Jews, the one that would hold the forever kingdom. And the fact of the matter is, is that that star rose up at the exact moment of the birth of Jesus. 
It's not a coincidence. It's a miracle that was purposely done by God. It was planned out and ready to go to show the kingship of Jesus. And so whether you think it's a a physical occurrence or whether you think it's a, a miracle, the fact of the matter is God made it happen to show who His Son was. Jesus was and is the Son of God come to save us from our sins. And that star shows it. Now let's look at some of the other people in this account. We've got Herod and the chief priests and, and, and uh, scribes. Now who were these guys? Back in Jesus' time, the, the land of Israel was not an independent nation. It was being ruled by the Roman government. It was kind of a, a, a governed state, basically, under Roman rule. And, and the Romans had sent a king, a person, had, had appointed a person to be the king, the governor of the, the country of Israel, the state of Israel. And that person was King Herod. And, and so Herod uh, has been king for, for a few decades. He, he's established And the Magi go to him because he's the king. That was the custom. And so they go to King Herod, and they tell him what's going on. And King Herod goes to his chief priests and his religious leaders and says, Hey guys, where's the king of the Jews, the Messiah? Where's he supposed to be born? And they, of course, tell him that it's going to be in Bethlehem. But I want you to notice what happens When he goes and tells the Magi where they can find the king, what does Herod do? What do the chief priests and religious leaders do? Do they go with the Magi? No. They stayed behind. They were not willing to accept that Jesus was king. Because think about it for a second. As king... Jesus dethrones King Herod, doesn't he? As the perfect priest and king, Jesus takes rulership over those chief priests and religious leaders, doesn't he? You see, the traditions and the way of life and the, the, the positions that these men held were now being placed in risk. They were being put on the line because someone greater than them was born. And his kingship and his priesthood would override King Herod and the chief priests and religious leaders. He was superior. And as that, he challenged everything that they had. He challenged their way of life. Let me, here's my big idea for the morning. Here's that, that, that statement that I want you to think about this week. And it's simply this. Knowing God's Word and living by God's Word are two different things. The religious leaders knew God's Word, didn't they? I don't think it took them long when King Herod went to them asking where the Messiah was going to be born. I don't think it took them long to tell, them, tell King Herod... He's going to be born in Bethlehem. They knew God's word. They knew exactly where Jesus was going to be born. They knew exactly what the prophecies said. But knowing God's word and submitting to it and living by it are two completely different things, aren't they? The chief priests 
King Herod himself, they were not willing to submit their lives to God's Word. Even though all of the signs pointed to the fact that the Messiah was born, despite the fact that there was physical evidence in the sky that the Son of God had come, King Herod and the chief priests were not willing to accept it. Knowing full well what God's Word said, they were not willing to live and allow their position to be placed under God's Word. Will you be willing to submit to God's Word? I think that's the big question that we have for ourselves. Knowing that New Year's is right around the corner, knowing that we're going to start a brand new year and many of us are are making New Year's resolutions, one of your New Year's resolutions, one of our, all of our New Year's resolutions should be that God's Word would change our lives. That we would be willing to let God's Word change us. You see, the king and the religious leaders were more concerned with protecting their way of life than they were to obeying God's Word in that moment. What's your roadblock that's preventing you from fully living in God's Word? What is it that's holding you back? I knew a guy back in Texas, I'm going to call him Bill. Bill was this guy in a church that I worked at, and, and he could tell you everything the Bible said. He was one of these guys that could just quote Scripture like crazy. The flip side to Bill is that Bill was a mean, vindictive horrible person. No one liked being around Bill. He always volunteered to go on our youth mission trip uh, when we would go on these youth mission trips. And it was pulling teeth to get students to ride in Bill's van because no one could stand to be around Bill for any extended period of time because he was such a grumpy, mean, angry man. He knew God's Word, but he never let God's Word change him. You see, God's Word tells us that we're supposed to always be living in the joy and the thankfulness that we find in living for God. This man was not that. This man was not someone you wanted to spend time with. Let me do a flip side of the coin. In college, I knew this guy named Nick. Nick could not give you a Bible verse if you asked him for it because he was a brand new believer. He had just come to know God. He was a classic California surfer dude. He was, mind you, this is the Texas panhandle, cattle country. He had long blonde hair that the women were envious of. And he talked with that classic surfer voice. And Nick could lead a rock to Jesus. But he couldn't quote Scripture to save his life. Now that changed because as he matured in Christ, he knew God's Word more and more. But his life was a perfect example of a life coming to know Jesus and fully submitting and allowing it to be completely changed by Jesus. You see, change is the whole point of knowing God's Word. 
If you're going to stick your feet in the sand, knowing that God's word says to pull those feet out of the sand and move a new direction, then what's the point of knowing God's word? If you're going to stick your feet in and not move, why study God's word at all? These religious leaders knew God's word in and out, and yet they refused to allow God's word to change them from the inside. Now, don't misunderstand me. For those two men that I listed, I have known hundreds of people who both knew God's word and allowed it to change them. These are just two of the extreme examples. But will you today, will you allow God's word to change you? Because here's the thing, the gifts point us to why we should allow God's word to change us. So if you continue uh, in the passage we read in Matthew 2, it tells us the Magi came and they worshipped the king. They worshipped Jesus and they presented him with gifts. Specifically three are listed, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, Now I'm not a person that believes that anything happens by coincidence in God's Word. That when something's listed, there's a reason for that listing. Uh, when something's named in God's Word, I think there's a reason for it being named. So there's a lot of you know, speculation as to what the, the three gifts may symbolize or mean. I'm going to throw out just a couple of theories, just a couple of ideas of what the gold, frankincense, and myrrh could mean. First off, the gold... Gold was a sign of royalty. The everyday common man did not possess gold. And if you go back into the Old Testament and to any of the writings of the the Near East in that day and time, you're going to find that one of the things that was valued that pointed to someone being a king was the accumulation of gold. Look at Solomon. It lists in a couple of places his great wealth and how much gold he he amassed, he acquired. And so gold was a sign of royalty. Frankincense. Frankincense was a, it's a resin. And and it was specifically important to the Jewish people because it was the resin used to create the incense that was burned inside the temple. And it was only this that could be burned. There was a specific recipe and way that you had to prepare it. And no, one, no other kind of incense could be burned in the temple except this specific kind. Frankincense was a very specific ingredient in the incense of the temple. I think that the gold points to Jesus' royalty. I think the frankincense points to his deity, that he is God. And then last, the myrrh. The myrrh points to his humanity. You see, myrrh was used to anoint someone. It was used to clean something, to designate something. Uh, We're told in Mark that when Jesus is hanging on the cross, he's given wine that's mixed with myrrh. We're told also in the book of John that they used myrrh to prepare Jesus' body before they took it into the tomb. Myrrh was something that was used for human purposes. And so the three gifts point us to three of the greatest attributes of Jesus' personhood. His royalty, His deity, and His humanity. You see, those three aspects should be what points us to the life change that happens within us. We should be making Jesus our King and our God. 
because he experienced humanity for our sake. He died on a cross despite being completely sinless. He died on that cross to save us from our sins. And he died. And on the third day, he rose from the grave and later ascended into heaven. The reason he did that in his kingship and his deity and humanity, those three combined gave him, qualified him to be able to die for our sins. You see, without the sacrifice of Jesus, our sins would condemn us to death, eternal death. But through his sacrifice, because he was a king and is the forever king, because he was and is God and was fully human, he was able to die for our sake, to pay our price. And that Price was paid if you want to accept the free gift that Jesus offers. So because of that gift, we have salvation from the eternal death that we would have to pay for our sins. So I think the question this morning is, what will your response to Jesus be? Will you be like Herod and the religious leaders who will not allow themselves to submit to God's Word and be changed, whether it be because of your traditions or that it's just the way I've always been uh, or whatever, or the sacrifice that might have to be made in order to be more like Jesus? Or will you be like the Magi who at the moment of seeing the star, they prepared themselves, got things ready, grabbed the frankincense, the myrrh, and the gold, and they went to go submit themselves and worship the King. What will your response this 2020 be? Here's my encouragement to you. I encourage you as we begin this new year to ask the Holy Spirit to examine your heart and your life. And in that examination, that He will reveal to you what areas you need to give to your Savior and your King. This is a new year. It's a great time to start anew with a new slate And do something that you've always wanted to do. Wouldn't it be great to make your life look more like Jesus? Will you join me in prayer? Almighty God, thank you. Thank you for the gift of Jesus. Thank you that despite the fact that we do not deserve it, that we cannot earn it, you gave your Son for us. The perfect gift the perfect Savior, to come and bring eternal life. Lord, we pray this morning in light of the coming new year that we would be open and willing to listen to the examination that your Holy Spirit can provide. That you would help us to see the areas in our lives that we fully need to submit to you. That we would be changed. That our lives would reflect the life-changing hope that can only be found in Jesus. So help us, Lord. Change us. Bring us more closer to you and help us to be more like you so that people around us will see your perfection, will see your hope, and will come to know you. Help us to be your people. Help us to be like the Magi. Thank you, Lord. We pray all of this in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen.
Now is the time in our service where we get to respond to what God or Jesus may be doing on our hearts. And if you need to pray and would like to come forward to the altar, the altar's open to you. Come down, pray, and lift those requests up to Him. Maybe you need to sit right where you're at, and you need to spend some time asking the Holy Spirit to guide you in understanding what areas of your life need to be brought into submission to Him. Maybe you love what has happened and you want to worship your King this morning. Whatever that may be this morning, now is the time that we give to respond. So stand, sit, whatever your response may be this morning, and let's worship and respond.